0: Chapter 2 Pray Big, Expect Big Introduction It's genuinely remarkable how many prayers we find in the Bible, and how many teachings about prayer we find in the Bible. The Bible is simply full of prayer. If we took time actually to study the topic of prayer, we'd discover that it pervades the Word of God. It's not a secondary topic, it's a major topic. This is why prayerlessness in the church is so counterintuitive and, I believe, sinister and satanic. After all, if our prayer moves God to change the status quo, revealing his mighty power and advancing his kingdom, Satan has a vested interest in the prayerlessness of Christians. Prayer is a basic but powerful part of Christian living. The Bible doesn't envision that we can live as a Christian without living a life of prayer. The church that does not major on prayer is not acting as a Christian church. The church not routinely getting prayers answered is not a normal Christian church. If you don't believe this, I simply ask you to read the book of Acts. The primitive church prayed, and that church routinely got answers to prayer. In short, if we're not praying, and we're not getting answers to prayer, there's something terribly wrong. John 4:46 through 54 constitutes a tender, compelling account of one of Jesus' signs. It's an example of daring prayer. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea unto Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he had got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea to Galilee. I want us to draw important truths from this account and other biblical texts, and I want those truths to change how we pray. Big faith does not annoy God. First, our Lord is never miffed by daring prayers. Never in the Bible do we find an example of Jehovah in the Old Testament or Jesus in the New Testament complaining that people ask God to do too much for them. On the contrary, God continually chides His people because they lack faith. Big, bold, daring prayers do not upset God. Little anorexic, unbelieving prayers upset God. In John 4, we read that a nobleman's son had suffered a near-fatal fever. He'd heard that the rabbi from Nazareth was healing the sick, so he approached Jesus and begged him to heal his son. One notable facet of this account is that Jesus didn't need to be present to miraculously heal. Imagine in a similar case our asking a physician to operate on a sick relative without being present. The nobleman had enough faith simply to trust the very word of Jesus. Jesus said, Go, your son will live. And then we read, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is simple, daring faith. The nobleman's faith was rewarded. As he was returning home, his servants met him and informed him that his son was recovering. When did his fever start dropping, he asked. The answer the exact hour that Jesus said, Go, your son will live. God delights to answer big, daring prayers. I'm not implying that he's not interested in prayers for small, ordinary problems. Of course he is. But he relishes great, visionary faith from his children. Earthly fathers delight when their children exercise great confidence in them. Can you imagine how the Heavenly Father feels when his children have faith that he can do anything for them? It's tragic how much faith we often lack. A couple of years ago, I was talking to a dear friend on the East Coast. He had recently attended a church, of all things most conservative, which was praying that one of its ladies wouldn't suffer too much from her chemotherapy. They didn't pray that God would heal her of cancer, mind you, but that he would give her relief from her treatment. Apparently God is strong enough to relieve pain, but not strong enough to heal disease. This is not a prayer of great faith, if I may say so. In 2 Kings 13, verses 14-19, through 19, we read the last recorded event of the life of the prophet Elisha, Elisha's successor. Apostate Israelite king Joash visited the prophet, saddened by his approaching death, but also anxious at the impending attack of the Syrian army on Israel. Elisha had been sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, "O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. Elisha was angry at Joash's lack of faith. Elisha had implied that the extent of Israelite military victory was contingent on how many times Joash struck arrows on the ground. He had faith only for a paltry victory, not a comprehensive victory. Again and again our Lord chided His disciples for their small faith. See Matthew 6:30 and 8:26 and 16:8, as well as Luke 12:28. He never rebuked them for exercising too large a faith, of asking too much of Him. God's prescriptive will or decretive will. Second, daring prayer should not consider God's secret eternal counsels. By this I mean, God's predestined will for human history. The Bible certainly teaches that God has a plan for human history, and that his plan will be accomplished, see Isaiah 14, 24-27, and 46, 8-10. But it is noteworthy, the Bible has almost nothing to say about considering that plan when we're making requests of God. In this way, our prayers today are starkly different from the prayers of the saints in the Bible. We pray, God, if it's your will, please give us a child. Hannah prays, Lord, please give me a child. And God gives her Samuel. We pray, Jesus, if it's in your father's plan, please heal us of this sickness. The disciples prayed, Lord, please put your hand on this deaf and dumb man so that he can be healed. And Jesus healed him. We pray, Lord, if it's part of your eternal will, please send revival to your people and to our nation. Jehovah says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 2 Chronicles seven thirteen 13-14 My point is simple. We have almost no example in the Bible of God's people who limit their prayers by pondering His secret counsels. God's people rightly believe in His eternal will. We take great comfort in His will. But when we pray, we pray according to His revealed will in the Bible. We don't know the specifics of God's secret will. That's why it's secret. But God's will in the Bible is not secret. It's revealed. One thing we do know about God from his revealed will is that his secret will isn't accomplished by his producing world history as a full-length feature film and then kicking back and watching the movie he made. He's actively involved in accomplishing his will by constantly interacting with man, created in his image, loving, commanding, rewarding, punishing, wooing, judging, in response to man's actions. This is the God revealed in the Bible. We know what God's revealed will is. It's expressed in his word for all to read. And so we pray according to that revealed will. This does not mean that God answers every prayer. No father gives his children everything they want. He would not be a faithful father if he did. God didn't answer Paul's prayer to remove the thorn of his flesh. But he wants to do good things for his children. And most of the time, he answers our prayers offered in faith. Is our Heavenly Father less caring about our needs and desires than our Earthly Father? See Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Grant Osborne is right quote, God is sovereign and can say no to our prayers, but we should not expect God to reject our requests. End quote. Of course, God can say no because God knows what's best. But just as we love to please our children whom we love, so God loves to please His children whom He loves. If we don't understand this tender fact, we have missed something very crucial about prayer and God. And this is why, when we read the Bible, we can come up with some amazing statistics. Even apart from the Psalms, which are full of prayers, quote, The Bible records no fewer than 650 definite prayers of which no less than 450 have recorded answers, end quote. That's a fascinating proportion. Probably more than 450 of the prayers in the Bible were answered. Still, that's almost 70% of answered prayers that we know of. God doesn't always answer our prayers, but he answers many more prayers than if we did not pray. We must face that fact squarely. Had this nobleman not come to Jesus and begged for the healing of his son— We have no reason to believe his son would have been healed. It's futile for us to ask, but what is the predestined will of God? Wouldn't God have healed him anyway if he had been predestined to be healed? That answer is for God to decide, not us. We know that all of human history is in his hands. We needn't worry about that. We simply need to trust God to be as good as his word, to do good things for his children. God's Glory in Answering Prayers Speaking of human history leads us to the third and final truth. God answers our prayers in order to demonstrate His might in the world and to vindicate His honor. We may recall that Israel lost a strategic battle at a city called Ai. Joshua, the leader, asked God that if the Jews turned their backs in defeat on their enemies, what would their enemies think of God? Joshua 7.9 They would think that he was some puny little god. In Judges 6.13, Gideon appealed to God in much the same way. If you really are Israel's God, what happened to all the promises you gave to us? God is vulnerable to our appeals to demonstrate his great power and vindicate his great honor in the earth because he desires to be praised and is worthy to be praised. So when we pray, we should ask God to exhibit his greatness in the earth. God desires and deserves worship and adoration. When we ask him to do great things, and he does them, he shows not just us but the world, including the unbelieving world, how great he truly is. God did this with Pharaoh, he did it with Nebuchadnezzar, he did it with Nineveh, and he will do it today. My mother was a godly praying woman. A couple of years before she died she submitted for her church's devotional manual an anecdote from our family history that I didn't know or else had forgotten. Quote, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Psalm 77.11 There is something about recounting the mercies of God in the past that seems to fan again the flames of faith that have become embers of smoldering doubt in our prayer lives. Are there any among us, saved any amount of time, who have not seen the hand of God in our lives. I think this is why God tells us over and over in his word to remember to forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103.2 By God's grace, I will never forget the morning nearly 50 years ago when our firstborn, Andrew, looked at my husband and me questioningly when we told him he couldn't have any more cereal and milk because there was no more. In fact, no more anything. Oh, and then the blessed memory of the knock that came at the back door, just as the three of us were on our knees in the kitchen, praying for God to supply our need. A woman from church was standing there with bags of groceries in her hand that she said God had, for some reason, laid it upon her heart to bring to us. Could you by any chance use them, she asked, hesitantly. And yes, there was cereal and milk in those bags. Today, that little boy is a pastor, author, and much in demand as a preacher and conference speaker, and one of his favorite themes is, you guessed it, prayer. We will remember, we will remember, we will remember the works of your hand, we will shout and give you praise, for great is thy faithfulness. Quote. When we pray, let us pray bold, daring prayers, because those prayers honor God. Paltry, unbelieving prayers do not honor God, and it's therefore no wonder our age is marked by defeat, apostasy, and depravity. Quote, How futile is much of our wailing over our defeats and over the sick state of society around us. The first step to victory is to take up our weapons with the determination to go all out for victory. R. Arthur Matthews, Born for Battle. The first weapon is prayer, and prayer requires faith. Let us not forget the warning of Hebrews 3.12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An unbelieving heart is an evil heart. An unbelieving heart leads us away from God. When we lack faith in God, including faith to answer our prayers, we begin to depart from the living God. Conclusion Let's review. First, God isn't upset by big, daring prayers. He's upset by an evil heart of unbelief. Second, don't worry about God's secret eternal will when you pray. Just act on what He's promised in His holy writing that's not at all secret. Third, always keep in mind that God loves to show His might and to vindicate His people in the world. So pray big prayers that will cause Him to do that. Let us pray bold, big, daring prayers and expect God to act as he said he promised, and as he has acted so many times in the past. Pray big, expect big.